Um, as you know, my name is Renu, and um, I'm also in the field of Ayurveda. And today I'd like to discuss the area of Ayurveda and women's empowerment and see where we go with that. So, Jayshree, would you mind introducing yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm Jayshree Lambert. I'm Canadian. Uh, I'm 72 now. I have two grown children. And I got involved in Ayurveda in my mid-30s after some 20 years of plus of headaches, uh, migraine headache. And finally, slowly, over some amount of time, a couple of years, I came to realized that Ayurveda was the way for me. It was the right lifestyle. It suited my tendency to meditation and to uh, vegetarian veganism. So uh, yeah, it just uh, began to draw me in more and more. And how did you come across Ayurveda at that time? That was, it wasn't very fashionable then. <laughs> no, but uh, Dr. Robert Svoboda, had graduated from uh, Tilak University under Dr. Yes. Lott's tutelage, and he mm -hmm. was doing a uh, North American tour. And during that time, which was 1986, so during that time, I met him when he came to Vancouver. And during that time, uh, you know, we had a chat at the interlude, and he said, well, I think you should meet my teacher of Ayurveda, Dr. Lott. And that's when the ver reverberation of that name uh, began to sort of percolate in my being and became the dominant factor, even till the uh, more so, I would say, each and every day. Okay. Interestingly, that's actually how I came across Ayurveda through, um, I mean, I had heard about Ayurveda from my teens, but... Uh, uh, back in the time when I was around 30 and I was living in London as a corporate lawyer, I um, read uh, Dr. Svoboda's book, um, Life, Health and Longevity. Mm -hmm. And um, that gave me a completely different vision of the world, um, not just of the healing modality of the individual, but the, about the interconnectedness of the whole yeah, system, the whole cosmos. And um, that's where my fascination in Ayurveda became, uh, came in. And he referred me to a, a doctor who we both know called Dr. Ramkumar, who runs uh, an Ayurveda holistic healing village. And I say holistic because, as you know, you, you've stayed there. It's um, Ayurveda uh, sort of in, in its very living essence, you know, supporting the individual, supporting the society, supporting the land, the environment, um, as you all know. So um, so can you tell me a little bit more about your own personal studies with Dr. Ladd and, and did you take any other uh, studies at all? Or uh, Sure. In the beginning, in the late 80s there, I uh, studied with a local doctor, Dr. Sukumaran, who is passed, but uh, uh, taught me Panchakarma. Uh, he's a Kerala physician from Kotakal. And uh, so that was a very personal apprenticeship type study with a small group at the time. And uh, because, you know, we didn't have access to Dr. Ladd as yet. So when Dr. Ladd came to Victoria in 1988, uh, 
he, I was invited to go and greet him and work on him, bring my massage table and, um, you know, do some uh, Ayurveda polarity therapy with him at the time to help refresh him after his trip. We were on our way to uh, Salt Spring Island, a sister center to Mount Madonna Center in California, where Dr. Ladd uh, taught for many years. And going in that year, 1989, I believe, was the first year that I realized, look, I have to leave every other consideration for Ayurveda here and just stay and dig one well, which is what has happened over these decades since that time. Right. Okay. And this one-to-one tutelage, was it, was it actually one-to-one or was it in a group situation? Very good. Well, in those days, it was a a uh, small group, sometimes six people, sometimes fewer, sometimes fewer more. Uh, and um, so it was very personal and uh, a type of gurukula. We weren't going to the teacher's home. The teacher was coming to a center for uh, for, for our sake. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, it was like an apprenticeship, if you will. And uh, we didn't really have a framework for the education, but Dr. Ladd would appear in the morning, do the prayers and know exactly what we wanted to, what we needed to hear and how to structure it. And so I still have my notebooks from those days, which I call my most precious belongings. <laughs> I have nothing right. else, to use, just those notebooks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, I, because I too studied under the conventional system through Dr. Ram Kumar, I met Dr. Vasudevan, who you may or may not know. Yes. And um, I, you, you know him? I believe we've met. Right. Okay. He works at the Adiyavadya Shala in, um, in Coimbatore, in Tamil Nadu. Um, and I had a, a, I had a group, group tutelage with him, but I also have, and I continue to have, because it's a lifetime study, a one-to-one tutelage with him. And... Um, I was wondering, I also studied on the uh, one, uh, the doctor course uh, to become an Ayurvedic official doctor, as it were, registered yeah. under the Indian count, uh, the Central Council for Indian Medicine. But I left that course after a year because I found it to be rather, um, and not to criticize the course, but I found it to be rather um, stiff and, and not, not very interactive and um, quite rigid, really. And I don't know if you've come across, uh, uh, I don't know if you can comment on the traditional system of, you know, Guru Shishya, you know, the tutelage system versus the current educational system, whether you can make any comments about that. Well, Dr. Ladd for many years was looking for an opportunity to create a Gurukula in India uh, because he had been in America for many years at that time, maybe 20. And... uh, so the in in life some doors close and other doors open and so in his life as the uh, major proponent of ayurveda in the west uh you know there were ups and downs with his journey and at some point it worked out that it opened up for him to create a a gurukula program in india so i happened to be one of the first um uh, participants of that uh program which was uh you know really directly in his home in his farmhouse in his uh in his home we would go for puja now the classes were in kind of a little hotel 
Uh, but yeah, 16 students, it's still, how would I say, very personal. And, you know, in recent times, Dr. Ladd has got uh, taken to saying to me when he sees me, oh, you are my first student in the U.S., which wow. is not quite exactly the way it was because there were other students at the time. But maybe the question is, who was there to dig one well? Mm-hmm. Because I've never, how would I say, I've only ever doubled down in my study of Ayurveda. I've never lost heart. Right. <clears throat> but would you, uh, did, did, did Dr. Lan have anything to say about the current system of education versus his Gurukula system? Or have you any comments uh, to make yourself? Or? Good. You know, I think Dr. Ram Kumar at Vaidyagrama has spoken more about this issue than Dr. Ladd himself. He has a particular trajectory of responsibility and he's been fulfilling that all these uh, years and decades. Uh, But I think, yes, everybody is looking for how to convey an authentic and complete Ayurveda. You know, Ayush is seeking this, uh, private teachers are seeking this. Uh, those who come to Canada here, like Dr. Ismat Natani in Toronto, everyone is seeking how to impart this uh, ideal education in an ideal way, in a limited and very unideal, you know, circumstance of, of um, yeah. the world today. Mm-hmm. Because my Ayurveda guru or, or teacher, he, he made a Gurukula system for seven years, whereby the candidates were selected by Jyotisha, by um, Vedic astrology. And so not everyone was allowed on. It was a free system. And um, they were taught many things apart from the you know, Ayurveda texts. Obviously, they had to learn Sanskrit. They had to learn mantra. They learned um, some astrology. They learned some Vastu, which is the Indian form of um, uh, Feng Shui, if you like. As you know, I'm just saying this for people who may not understand what we're talking about. And um, and there were a handful of, of kids who completed this seven-year course. And, uh, and, and simultaneously, he was trying to get it registered by the Central Council for Indian Medicine, which um, obviously gives you the, the title of doctor so that you have a license to practice. But unfortunately, they would not recognize his program. So... Um, uh, so then the, the school, the Gurukula, had to close down because people didn't want to spend seven years and not get a you know, certificate, so to speak, at the end of it, a license to practice. Um, all the students are doing quite well in the field of teaching, mostly, but um, uh, as far as I understand, no one is in actual practice. Um, well, no, that's not, not maybe they are, I, I don't know, but... The thing is, they don't have the title doctor, so legally then they're not entitled to practice. So um, that that particular uh, system didn't didn't work out because you know the CCIM were unwilling to accept it. So um, I don't know how we can create. I don't know when and and how this you know more uh, authentic system will be created. And because we're not living in Vedic times, we're living in these modern Kali Yuga times. So really the adaptation and what to do and how to do, how to 
maintain that idealism within each and every aspirant. It is a challenge. Yeah. Basically, yeah. I think really, Renu, we do the best we can. For example, when Dr. Lodd came to the West, and I've seen him up until so recently, only a few months ago, giving with both hands. Uh, many times he would say, look at my bald head. 10,000 hairs have jumped from this head, trying to explain this Ayurveda to you. <laughs> so the idea is that, yes, everybody is really passionate, and I think we all do have these same ideals. Uh, and I think by keeping a focus on those ideals, because when it comes to government interface, naturally we have to come to the lowest common denominator. And that can, mm -hmm. uh, you know, sort of tamp down the standards, if you will. But we go to the circumstances that we're blessed with. Uh, and in my case, I didn't know that I had any destiny in Ayurveda until halfway through my life. <laughs> I didn't uh, plan for it or even aspire to becoming an Ayurveda doctor. But again, this idea of becoming an Ayurveda doctor, I always put in my credential in, in brackets that this is a NAMA award, National Ayurveda mm -hmm. Association Award. This is their standard. This is uh, a designation given by them. So I had not the great privilege that you did to take training in India. We just didn't have these options. Yeah, no, no. I have to say I did leave my training after one year. I did leave the actual university training after one year because I didn't find it to be... Um, I come from a British educational background, so uh, one, um, I didn't find the system of education to be interactive enough. Mm. It was just like memorize, 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 mm. and um, don't worry about it, you'll understand it in the end. And I wasn't used to that. I was used to a more interactive way of, edu of education. And I had been studying Ayurveda prior to coming to India to become an Ayurvedic doctor. And I had been studying on a diploma course in, in Ayurveda. Um, and then uh, I actually left and, and then went under a, a tutelage system. Um, and uh, in the end, I, I graduated with an MSc in Ayurveda and I was in the pioneer group um, where the uh, UK educational system recognized Ayurveda as a science and allowed it into a university as a master of science. So I was one of the pioneers in that group. Um, uh, I was one of the first, I was one of the first participants. I was a participant in the first batch, but unfortunately the, the system, the educational system there for Ayurveda closed down from yes. the university because there weren't enough takers because mm -hmm. um, people felt that they were investing a lot of time and a lot of money in a subject that was not necessarily going to prove that lucrative um so um, i'm sure there's lots of work to do not only to help us internationally globally to bring ayurveda in the same um you know with the same high standards that everyone would like to have but still facing the reality on the ground that when they're importing ayurveda they are, of course, immature in the in the in Ayurveda. Mm -hmm. So, therefore, there may not be the ability to know the questions to ask. So, we ourselves have to then now 
bring a situation where the question can be formulated, the question yeah. can be considered, then we mm -hmm. can bring a discussion. Yes, yeah. And I think um, graduates of the traditional, uh, not the traditional, of the current Indian Ayurveda medical system um, are also finding that they are, well, this applies for most professional degrees, actually, that when you graduate, you're not apt enough to, to practice. You need, you need mentoring, you know, for some time. Um, a mentorship, a mentor, a mentorship feature has to be built in. I do believe as an as a, an international concept, whether internally within India or otherwise, it's just the numbers are are enormous. You know what are there over two hundred and fifty colleges and universities graduating Ayurveda physicians today? Right. You, it, within, yeah. within India, within India. I believe so. Okay. And do you feel that your level of education is equivalent to the education that uh, people who graduate from these colleges is? I have no idea. I have no way really to judge or evaluate. I, I would love to, and I have looked into it. Can I just take a BAMS examination, you know, prepare for it and, and take the exam and other people have done it successfully, but um, in rare circumstances. But uh, for me, I was looking at age factor and thinking, really, what do I need and want? And, uh, you know, what is it important for me to prove? So for me, I wanted my teacher's approval, benediction, blessing. And uh, I wanted to feel that he was with me at every moment of teaching or clinical work. And indeed, I've felt that consistently, increasingly. Mm -hmm. So when do you, we don't have do you... these measures, when we don't have these outer measures like a uh, master's degree, PhD degree, with standardization with, you mm -hmm. know, everybody passing, same criteria, et cetera. Is it really an equal system, you know, as a, a long time uh, teacher, educator? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've wondered and looked into many, many ways and means of learning. How do we acquire learning? And mm -hmm. I've also studied the, the spirituality, the pralabdha, the destiny that prepares the person, the soul's journey and the soul's unfolding in that life. So can we really decide? I know in my case, I really didn't make a decision. The Ayurveda came to me. The destiny came to me. The teacher came to me. And I could only notice that looking back. Yeah, the same here, actually. Yes, the same here. People often ask me, how did you switch from being a corporate lawyer to an Ayurveda practitioner? And um, yeah, it was, <laughs> it came to me, basically. Well, um, I mean, it's the most heart-centered profession. It's the most integrated profession. It's the most inclusive pro profession where I don't have to exclude anything because Ayurveda yeah. uh, is all-inclusive. So I appreciate that, like anything. So um, currently you teach as well as you do clinical work? Uh, yes, uh, usually up until this COVID period, I've been teaching seminars in person under the premise that Ayurveda is a, an oral tradition. So yes, we've always done the classes in person, seminars, um, 
retreat programs in person. So now uh, things are changing. I'm turning much more to writing. Uh, mm-hmm. So let us see what the future holds. I do rely a great deal on younger people now to understand about the technology and to, uh, you know, uh, bridge between the. I, I consider that as, can we say, a memory keeper, someone who has been uh, blessed with a tremendous storehouse of delivery from Dr. La directly. Uh, that that then has a, a duty, like his example was to give, is to give with both hands. And so that is my example. Now, how to do it, the technology, some younger generation will have to come forward for that. And uh, now would be the time. Mm-hmm. And so um, were, you, were you doing clinical work for some years also? Uh, yes, consistently. I started before meeting Dr. Lott. I was already doing body work, hands-on healing work with polarity therapy, then uh, naturally moved to, uh, it, it, in fact, those techniques supported me all my professional life, Abhyanga, the oil massage, um, Turiya therapy, the evolute of the Ayurveda polarity therapy, which Dr. Lott himself named as Turiya therapy because of the transcendent realization process that arises uh, with the work. Uh, so yes, then of course, again, I didn't really aspire to internal medicine, but this was Dr. Lod's example. This is what his, his topic, this is his uh, richness of content among many other Vedic sciences, of course, but uh, he was a, he is of course very much able to impart in such a holistic way that all sciences merge together in ayurveda whether it's uh, pulse assessment internal medicine but yes in recent years i would say most of the clinical work uh, following in dr lad's example is uh, the internal medicine so still today, I uh, I do a lot of that, a lot of follow-up consultation, but ultimately I consider it all education, sharing of education. Absolutely, yes. And um, in terms of internal medicine, um, how do you work with uh, local people where you are and um, what is your accessibility to the conventional Ayurveda medicines or do you work with local herbs and, and, and or items that are growing near where you are, near okay. where your clients are. A bunch of questions there, but I'll try to... So yes, that's sorry. Referrals <laughs> come from word of mouth. Uh, we have one local doctor, Dr. Nata, close by, who refers patients and uh, others as well, a physiotherapy colleague, uh, colleague who also refers a lot of uh, patients who are getting physiotherapy, but maybe not overcoming the core of their challenges. So uh, she refers for internal medicine to help with the per- person's overall holistic uh, self-care. Uh, but I would say word of mouth and the website are, are, are pretty much my media over the years. I haven't done a big amount of advertising. I don't have, I would say, any kind of big profile or anything like that, but I like to... Um, do free talks at times. Now we're off that season where I can do these low cost introductory talks for the public. 
so that was a big thing as well. Now, regarding supply of Ayurveda medical substances, the herbs, the uh, minerals, etc., shilajit, etc., uh, we have had our supply mostly from the U.S. because the U.S. has done all the FDA approval requirements. And mm -hmm. uh, so we wanted to support that. Uh, so we have uh, that. And then now they turned around a year or two ago and stopped shipping to Canada. Don't ask me why, but um, there was some sort of corporate answer. Now, um the thing is that we can import from other regions, but one of the CARE Foundation's new developments is the goal of classifying all our local Cascadia plants, medicinal plants, which is our region, uh, Washington State, British Columbia, Vancouver Island, Gulf Islands. This Cascadia region is well known for its uh, traditional medicinal plants. Now, they have been classified, most of them, according to BC government um, publications, but nothing expresses the rasa, viria, vipak, and prabha of the herbs. So we need mm -hmm. a full classification of the local herbs so that we can access the properties of these herbs, which are, of course, fresh. We can make our fresh juices, which with the imported Ayurveda herbs from India, we're just using dry powders. So it, it, it's not ideal, it's what we can do, it's second best, and we manage, and it, it, it's what can be done. But, you know, really it's our daily routine, our meditation practice, our food choices. Um, that's, of course, the, the main influences from Ayurveda is Dinacharya. But the herbal supplements and medicines, we pretty much have to import. And therefore, for someone like myself, I never take substances that are uh, imported directly from India. It's simply that I don't, don't need to, how would I say, that's not my battleground. That's not my front line. My front line is educational. Mm -hmm. So when you're in a clinical situation with somebody, you don't prescribe them herbs? Is that what I'm under, am I understanding correctly? Yes, but I don't provide them. <clears throat> I usually have them... Uh, called in the order to the Ayurveda Institute, which is, mm -hmm. a, you know, a toll-free call, then they uh, receive it at their mail, usually. Right, mm -hmm. okay. And yeah. um, have you done any work in the area of looking at um, local herbs for uh, an, an inter interpreting them in terms of Ayurveda? Oh, yes, yes. You know, I'm, when I first became in love with... Uh, herbology uh, back in the 80s, I really only studied Western herbs, local North American herbs, then European herbs, and only later I studied the Ayurveda herbs and even learned about the uh, guna and karma of herbs. I only knew karma. I didn't know guna. So, you know, we had to fill in, we still have to fill in this enormous academic uh, gap Mm hmm. So you wouldn't um, uh, prescribe local herbs in your consultations? Yes, absolutely. Now, the practicality is, let's say I'll suggest a, a um, burdock root that's grown here. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the Ayurveda Institute 
pharmacist or herbalist is mixing up the formula, then really most of their stock is the imported Ayurveda herbs from India. So they do yeah. have a few Western herbs. They have some comfrey root, they have some comfrey leaf. But yes, because I learned early on, in my case, I did not want to become a um, a pharmacist, an Ayurveda a pharmacist. pharmacist. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. As an educator, I got one main, how would I say, duty, and then many other people belong in their dutiful, you know, wherever their karmas landed them. Mm. I mean, the reason I, I'm going to go on to the topic of women's empowerment in a minute, but the reason I ask this question is because during the COVID crisis, I have, um, I'm doing free consultations abroad or by donation uh, online. And um, because we're not able to export any medicines right now, um, I'm having to think about how I can prescribe, you know, locally and seasonally according to where the client is. So, um, I that's, see, that's very my, clever, yes. That's my challenge at the moment. Um, I, I have studied a little bit about herbs, and um, I know David Frawley's written a book about the yoga of herbs, but um, apart from that, um, there's not been that much work. So Dr. Vasant Lad has done some work in, in this area too, I know, um, but I'm not so clear yet how to interpret modern, I mean, low, uh, foreign, you know, foreign as in out of India, herbs um, in, in an Ayurveda perspective. So um, anyway, um, let, let's just move on. Um, uh, these are the up. challenges. Yeah, these are yeah, the challenges. Yeah, I understand these are the challenges uh, how, how to follow with, yeah. uh, you know, with the Yeah, because people do need supplies and uh, I'm particularly not interested in retail. So that's why I usually pretty much always refer to others for that. Yeah, and people All are right. saying now because of the COVID crises and people are saying, you know, they, they've seen the effects, the impact of, you know, the, the reducing carbon footprints and people are actually saying we want to reduce carbon footprints. We don't want imported stuff. We want to use what's local and seasonal, which is what Ayurveda does tell us to do. So, um, you know, that's, I think, maybe a, a post. It is a current challenge and it will maybe continue. So I think this is an area that has to be looked into in a lot of depth by somebody. Um, I don't know. I mean, I am interested, but I have a lot of things on my plate. So There you are. Where we do our best. We have high aspirations, but we do the best we can do. Yeah, exactly. Um, and in the area of Ayurveda and women, do you do you have anything to say about what Ayurveda, you know, how Ayurveda looks at women's conditions? Well, of course. <laughs> you know, as a mother, grandmother, uh, and longtime student of Ayurveda, as well as uh, just someone interested in, in people being happy and having well-being, having mental health, physical health, spiritual health, you know, that those tendencies within me, I think, brought me to this path. And because I've always been an educator, been a teacher since a young age, then it was uh, it was important to become a teacher of Ayurveda. Now, um, yes, I think when I first came to Ayurveda, 
There were clearly more women than men involved, uh, but the leadership was falling to men. So yeah. it was rather alarming. Then um, the other thing is that uh, Maya Tiwari yes, was yes. the one who opened my eyes to the fact that it has been the women who have carried the uh, knowledge of Ayurveda through the grandmothers and yeah, through, the, through the kitchen that's the the absolute home of ayurveda is the kitchen so it is the grandmothers that need to have the acknowledgement for the accrued experience and knowledge and that they need to listen that you know if grandma says no yogurt today it's cloudy it, you know then the kids learn and listen they don't override that and then go and get build up phlegm and become susceptible to colds and flu. Right, yes. Yeah, so yeah, they have others other than myself have had that experience and good fortune to learn from, from childhood, right from birth. Some of our Ayurveda doctors from Vaidya Grama, they're born to lineages and they worked with herbs and sorting herbs right from you know the time that they're able to sit and follow a group activity. So I think that in general, the idea of women being uh, again in positions of responsibility regarding education, agriculture, the, mm -hmm. traditionally in world cultures, traditionally, women have been responsible for education, agriculture. So mm -hmm. I think still the natural place of leadership of women is to understand the importance of, and our, the very first point that you made, my dear Renu, was the mm -hmm. quality and uh, authenticity and completeness of the education, right? Mm -hmm. So women are, understand this is a process. It's, it's not a little package or a little square uh, that once you jump out of it, you have all the knowledge, no. <laughs> you know, you yes. need a mentor for some time. And uh, generally, those will be women, people who are willing to work uh, with less compensation, which is another a very important point, by the way, in this, because in the West, as a w woman professional, this has been quite the little battle, you see, is how to have equal compensation for uh a new skill, right? The Ayurveda pulse assessment and an internal medicine skill. Mm -hmm. That how are first of all people able to appreciate it, recognize it, or or understand it? Uh, because in India, of course, everybody does. Oh, if that person knows pulse reading, that means they've been dedicated for who knows how long. Right. But unfortunately, I mean, uh, I say unfortunately, I work with I work with women in my women's empowerment organization. And, um, you know, I come across obviously a lot of women and I've worked also. Um, I've worked from the top to the bottom or the bottom to the top, however you want to put it, in terms of women, you know, from working class women to highly professional women. And I'm finding that the grandmother's kitchen is actually lost. 
And a lot of the women, the young women that I work with, they don't know grandmother's kitchen. They don't know the simple spices they can use for, you know, gas or acidity or, you know, basic, you know, ailments, you know, acute ailments. That They don't know it anymore. So what what would you suggest in terms of, like, uh, you know, re-educating these women? Yes, quite true. You know... I- Women, we we do meet in the kitchen, and uh, we share recipes. We share trials and tribulations. When the community is down, we get together for a meal. Now, um, this is a uh, an everyday family based, home based experience. So, to me, it's it's a question of keeping the highest standards there at that level. Now, in an institutional sense, we need, yes, cooperation at all levels. We need international cooperation. At present, we want to, in Canada, for example, uh, propose Ayurveda legislation so that the practice of Ayurveda is entirely uh, approved and, um, you know, defined. So how to do that in simple language that is a challenge we're working on on it mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, standards of practice internationally you know ayush has set some international standards but are they still too low yes of course uh, you know then this is where we want to individually enrich and this is where our ongoing conferences whether it's the share ayurveda conference in canada that we do usually alternate years Next year, 2021, will be our our year. We had to postpone this year, COVID year. Now, um, conferences is is one of our ways. Now we're having online conferences because some people are saying, look, at meeting in person is passe. I believe that Ayurveda will always be an oral tradition and that what we gain by listening is the main medium, even more so than uh, sight, than reading. Most subjects were reading about them and, and creating images about, but Ayurveda, we're listening, right? We're listening yeah. to the wisdom and to the source and to the, the music and to the correlations and the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the oneness mm-hmm. of the diversity, if you like. Mm-hmm. So do you think so that I don't the... Sorry, just digressing a little bit. Well, digressing in one sense, but not really. Um, do you think, uh, like, the medium of the kitchen um, is there in Canada or in Western countries? Do you think the grandmother's kitchen exists at all? Because I personally, having been grown, having grown up in England, didn't see a grandmother's kitchen. I'm not talking, you know, I'm not talking Indian. I'm talking just from, you know, Western herbology. My neighborhood is very Mm -hmm. highly Indo-Canadian. So there Mm -hmm. are more North Indian families here than there are Caucasian families. So definitely my neighbors, they have where the mother cooks and the son, he might be a police officer, he might have his construction job, but he comes home and whether it's nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, grandma is there to cook him his personal meal with the personal spices that she's choosing from her round spice tin uh, Mm -hmm. for that one plate for the one 
grandson. Yeah, I do see that here in in, uh, in these parts. But yes, this is. Uh, yeah, I think these are lost arts. So how can we memory keepers do fulfill our duty of doing our best to pass it on to the next generation? It is it yes. is a challenge and a good question. Yeah. Yeah, and it's one that I'm working with. I mean, the women, you know, that I work with, um, some of them, most of them do home work at home, piecework, because we also supply and produce um, eco-products or we source eco-products and we make packaging and the women do that at home and some of them get ill and I say, you know, take this, do this, and I give them home remedies and they, they're like shocked. Oh, that worked. Um, and it's like, oh, didn't your mother teach you that? Didn't your grandmother teach you that? Uh -huh. I mean, I, was, I, I wasn't taught all these things by my mother or my grandmother. Well, I didn't really see my grandmother because she was in India and I was in England. But um, I, was, I learned this through Ayurveda, um, you know, the home remedies. So it's like I'm educating these women, you know, informally, you know, situation by situation, you know, what they can do for feeling nauseous, what they can do for feeling bloated, what they can do for feeling constipated, what spices to take. Because, unfortunately, the cost of Ayurveda medicines in India and I'm sure abroad is very high. And although I can supply Ayurveda medicines to my people, to my workers, I can't supply the whole of India <laughs> so um, you know the, the, the kitchen is the best place for acute conditions and mostly people want a quick fix and western medicine is so cheap in comparison to you know Ayurveda medicine in India itself that people will and, and the faith that women have or people in general men as well towards western medicine is so strong you know, in comparison to Ayurveda medicine, that that's another layer of conditioning that has to be worked with as well. It is unfortunate that uh, there's been such an emphasis in India's modern development on pharmaceutical uh, manufacture and sales. Yeah. Uh, yes, as compared to uh, promoting the export of the Ayurveda items, you know, it, it does seem... Um, you know, sometimes you can't understand the, another's viewpoint or, or decision. But that's one of them in my mind that doesn't seem to enhance India's export, uh, how would I say, benefits long term. But, uh, you know, again, we're, we're all doing the best we can. And are these questions raised in international meeting rooms. I myself have visited the Ayush ministry a couple of times, 2017 mm -hmm. and 2016, I believe. Now, they are very interested in these higher international educational standards. So that is what we're proposing to them, CARE Foundation, Canada Ayurveda Research and Education Foundation, um, which is where I'm going more in my life now. So one of my assignments from Dr. Ladd is to create a college. So yes, this whole question of standards, uh, I had to really try to think it through. How to bridge the East and West uh, at the same time as, uh, you know, my 
some of my favorite things to promote are, of course, women's empowerment, local uh, produce, uh, local talent, uh, and especially women's talent. So this does reflect in our conferences and our our organization as a whole, but very much room for improvement, Renew. Mm-hmm. And what does the word women's empowerment mean to you? Well, to me, it, it's at least an equality, if not a recognition that the feminine principle does prevail in nature, that there is a, t- a slight edge. If the yin-yang is, is quite equal and quite balanced, really uh, the, the slight dominance of the female within the creation to me shows that, yes, this is where endurance is this in the female. This is is where uh, longer life happens and uh, Mm -hmm. this is where flexibility creativity happens as well we Mm -hmm. can adapt Mm -hmm. so I think it's many many things I think it's it's first of all recognize that not only the female is how would I say sacred but living a life that honors the sacred within women is a life of honor. So to elevate the female principle is indeed a, an elevation of the soul, whether male or female. Mm-hmm. Who honors his mother, mother earth and behaves accordingly, right? Is yep. a, really a, a true human. Uh, but a, uh, a, a man who exploits and uh, has, you know, insecurities and needs to put down or or deface or in some way uh, betray a, a, a woman is uh, not going to end up with honor. Yeah, and that's the big dichotomy here in India today with perhaps due to colonization and globalization. The, you know, the Vedic tradition revere the feminine principle very, very highly. And they say that where the feminine principle is not uh, revered, then the society breaks down. Um, and the feminine principle, as you say, includes the environment, includes nature, prakriti. And, um, you know, the dichotomy is that in today's world, um, that aspect of, you know, the feminine, well, the feminine principle is not being revered in terms of the environment, in terms of the woman. Um, you know, and um, the the more yang qualities are being more kind of revered, really, rather than the yin qualities. So, um, and and you know, when women do get, you know, in let's say modern, you know, terms of empowerment, let's say in terms of jobs or what have you, then they also start to take on very yang qualities. They also start to lose their their feminine qualities because they need that to keep up in the, you know, patriarchal workforce. Quite Um, true. If we want to look at the current situation with this COVID virus currently in its full bloom, mm -hmm. uh, as we record this, uh, it is loving kindness that has won this, right? And is winning this. It is... Mm. People being more tolerant, more kind. Also music, look at beauty 
all right this yeah. is what is arising the uh, the feminine principle so i think it's very helpful to understand nature as you just said i think this point is worth going into a little more that nature herself pro uh she does present five elements earth water fire air and these Panchamahabhutas that we all know, any Vedic student has a very uh, uh, intimate familiarity with these five elements. So Earth, mm -hmm. we have to now move forward in such a way that this Earth, this is the message of the feminine principle, uh, the, the loving kindness towards the Earth, it has to be cleaned up. We can't permit uh, manufacture of uh, non-recyclable plastics, right? We can't allow... Uh, airline emissions or even lack of HEPA filters in airline machine. Yeah, you know, but this, I mean, even in, even, in, even in Ayurveda, we're manufacturing Ayurveda medicines and putting them into plastic bottles for export. Quite, quite mm -hmm. true, quite true. Yeah. So these reforms have to be there. So there are certain things now going forward. I think uh, the feminine voice must be heard for sustainability. Because it's not, uh, it, it's for procreation, right? Women are interested in the happiness and longevity of the tribe. So yeah. I, I think that the leadership coming from that principle is sorely needed, for sure. And as that balance, little bit edge to the feminine, is restored in nature, then not only earth can heal, and water, which is where I feel the greatest affinity is the oceans and waterways mm -hmm. of the world, the, yeah. the, the plasma, the rasa of the world, mm -hmm. uh, then I feel that we have to now really take a stand on cleaning up, cleaning up what pollutions have been uh, so destructive in our local areas. And, and I think well, it's always been women who have gotten together for you know, planting, replanting forests for uh, cleaning ducks after oil spills. Do you know what I mean? It's always the women on the front lines doing these, uh, these actual, the actual work of it. So we know yeah. how to work shoulder to shoulder, equal, mm -hmm. equally, country. Yes, to, we, we have that within us historically so I think yes now's the time to rise up and and show it and live it we don't have to say anything we just have to do it yes exactly so um yeah so there are various levels on which we can work as women you know in terms of the environment in terms of you know the home remedies um the kitchen like you said is a powerful place um so all these areas can be worked at and you know we can educate in our particular area, and as you say, just do our best um, in whichever area we take up. Um, I have this tendency to take up all areas, but never mind. <laughs> you see, so. now, this is it. We're all we're all different, and we're all very interested in the whole picture. So, how do we decide what is our one well that we're going to dig and be of service in that particular life stream. You know, yeah. it, it's, um, yes, we have to interface with the outside and we have to create a balance between the structure of 
you know, educational requirements, tuition fees, housing, uh, morning routine, all these things have to be organized, no doubt. Uh, but without that heart, without that compassion, then where are we going? We, we have to do our reforms, I feel now, towards uh, loving kindness, and it is women that do it, maybe without banners, yeah. maybe without shouting, yeah. maybe just by doing it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's what it is. So I think um, well, we can draw this to a close because we've gone over time and I know we could speak for hours on this subject because it's an immense subject, Ayurveda, it could, because it covers everything within the universe. So um, do you have anything you'd like to say in conclusion? Well, I'd like to thank you for this charming meeting, Renu, and this opportunity to exchange together. And I think we all have this sort of uh, five degrees and we are all connected, whether it's a uh, wet market in Wuhan province in China or, uh, you know, the smoggy roads of Delhi or any place. We are connected and this is absolutely beyond doubt now because the prince and the prisoner have been regarded as equal. Right. Yeah. Virus. Exactly. Right. So yeah. now we know yeah. beyond an absolute doubt, nature has proven that we are equal, educated, yeah. uneducated, capable, uh, resolved, uh, spiritual, non whatever. <laughs> yes, totally. Totally. Equality. So rain is showering on all of us, sunshine the same, mm -hmm. and coronavirus the same. So we have to take that cue that we are the same and, um, you know, really pull together because this new life going forward, our next generation does depend on it. Now we know what it's like to have less air travel, less auto travel, less, yeah. uh, you know, um, social frenzy. Yeah. So let us preserve what we have learned from this and allow our beloved five elements to rest and regain their immunity and uh, become more uh, available in a healthy way for our, our human alignment. Yes. Okay, that sounds good. That sounds like a good point to, to end on. And... Um, I do hope that we do learn from this COVID crisis because sometimes I do have my doubts that because of all the financial losses, you know, if it, you know, I know it's happening globally, but I'm talking just about India right now because that's where I'm based. Um, there is a complete panic regarding finances. And, um, you know, I'm just worried that people might just go into a complete frenzy once the lockdown gets lifted to try and recoup their, their losses, you know, at any cost. But I hope that does not happen. But I have a, I have a feeling that that could quite possibly happen. So um, anyway, in any event, we, we shall continue. Worse before getting better, but have faith, my dear Reno, that sunlight always follows darkness. Yes, indeed it does. 
what do they say in English? Every cloud has a silver lining. So there we go. <clears throat> so um, thank you very much for um, being with me today. I really appreciate sharing with you and um, you sharing with me. And um, yeah, maybe we can have another uh, chat later on because um, there were other areas that I would have liked to discuss also, but we don't have the time. So um, we can speak about that another time. As you wish. Yeah, thank you very much. All right. Thank you very much, Aishri. Thank you very much, Aishri. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.